Thank you for listening to the New Life Church podcast. If you need any information about our church or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at newlifekingman.com. Amen. All God's people said amen. amen and amen. Praise God. You can be seated this morning. Hallelujah. Well, we want to take a moment before we get started. We want to welcome everybody that's out. You look like a great church. You are good looking. Look to your neighbor and say, you're so good looking. <laughs> Amen. That makes you feel better, doesn't it? And if you're at home, we want to welcome you watching online. Uh, we're glad that you're here. And if you're with somebody at home, turn to them and say you're so good looking. Amen. We want to release all the teenagers. If you're junior high, high school here, you could see Alex is raising his hand in the back. You guys are free to go. Amen. You go back into the youth room and they got a service for you back there. Amen. We have just one announcement that I want to uh, make known to you. As you know, Andy probably already mentioned to you that this is Mission Sunday. Every, the first Sunday of every month, we recognize our missions. And as you guys know, we have uh, missions that we support all around the world, even locally, uh, things that we do uh, uh, within Kingman, things that we do within the United States, and then, of course, uh, uh, across the world. Um, one of our missionaries, um, Pastor Alex Chambaro, who is in Malawi, you've, I'm certain you've heard of him. If you've been in our church any length of time, you've heard us talk about him. He's doing such a great work for God, uh, has many, many churches under him. Uh, they are literally uh, reaching their country uh, for Jesus. And, you know, they're seeing such great things, <clears throat> excuse me, such miraculous um, things are happening in their church and in their fellowship. Uh, recently, though, his wife uh, has been in need of medical attention, and so there's been some ex uh, expenses incurred in that, and so we wanted to uh, just help him with that. If you would like to be a part of helping uh, them, uh, you can uh, uh, give into this church. We'll make sure that it gets to them. Uh, of course, if you write a check, notate Malawi, uh, on your on your uh, check, um, that would be a help to us if you put in an envelope or if you do online, just notate on there uh, that that's for uh, Malawi um, and we will make sure it gets there. And you could do that throughout this week. Next week we'll be uh, continuing that. Amen. We do appreciate You guys are such a liberal group of people. Amen. I, I have to say how proud I am of this church. Uh, you are liberal, you are givers, your, your generosity uh, just amazes me. And so I'm so thankful uh, that, that God has done that in our church. And I believe that's why, in some ways, the hand of God's on us. You know, there's God, God, it, God loves a cheerful giver. Amen. And you seem to be cheerful, amen. And so that's a good thing, and I just am proud of you and proud to be the pastor of this church. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn with me over to the book of Ezekiel. A little light reading for today. We'll uh, dive into that. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 22. Uh, we'll get to that verse here in just a few moments. Now, last week we... Um, well, let me say this before we get into this. I, I, I kind of need to put out a little bit of a disclaimer from this morning, 8.30 service. I feel like at 8.30 I rushed it. Yeah, yeah, have, you, have you ever, you know, done something you feel like you just were plowing and you're going so fast and, you know, and my, I kind of got tongue-tied and, you know, you, you know, you ever have that? Well, maybe it's me. I, I don't know. 
But sometimes that happens to me. I get tongue-tied and I get my brain gets going 50 miles an hour and my mouth can only go 30 miles an hour. And so it, it just, it, it, it kind of creates some confusion. And so I'm going to slow down a little bit because I really believe this, is, this message is, is for us today. This is, this is a powerful message. And I, I want to say to you, this is something that, that's not, it's, it's something that's not just in my heart because God put it there. But this is something that my wife and I for the last couple of years have really uh, been endeavoring to press into. And we are beginning to see uh, the fruit of that and, and see the results of that. And so this, this has got me um, very passionate. So if I get a little passionate, if I come flying off the stage, that's, that's, that's what that's about. And so you just hang on with me. So last week we finished our series on Seeking First, the Kingdom of God. And, and there is no doubt this morning that that subject is significantly important I cannot stress enough uh, to you just uh, by way of, of, of reminder how important it is that you and I daily make it a priority to seek first. And let me underline first the kingdom of God. You know, there's a lot of things in this life that we can do and there's a lot of things that are good and wholesome, but the problem is is we tend to get them out of priority and that kind of corrupts them a little bit. And so what we have to be is we have to be a people that have a right set of priorities. And the first of our priorities as Christians is we ought to be about seeking the kingdom. Now, these are not my words. You know that. You know Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Jesus is speaking. He's preaching the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached. And, and he says to them in the context of how to overcome worry and, and how to, uh, to see your needs met and all of that, he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. And we went through that. And so Jesus is putting the priority. He is establishing that this must be first in our life. And it's extremely important. Now this morning I want to move on from that and I kind of want to change directions and I want to speak about something that I believe is equally as important. In fact, the subject we're going to speak about today, you can't have the one without the other. You can't seek first the kingdom of God without what we're... See, what we're going to talk about today is the mystery of prayer. And you cannot seek the kingdom of God first without prayer. And I know now everybody here and, you know, I've been around church long enough to know that it's like, oh man... Here we go, another sermon on prayer. But let me say this to you. This is vitally, vitally important that we get this into our spirit. Now, I want to ask you a question. It's a rhetorical question. You don't have to answer it. You don't have to shout out. So just think about this. Have you ever had this thought go through your mind? Why do I need to pray? Why does God need me to pray? See, when you think about it, prayer really is a remarkably strange mystery. Now, I want you to track with me here. I want you to think about this. Why did God design a system of prayer at all? Isn't God almighty? Isn't he all-sufficient? Could he really 
need anyone to help him outside of himself. Come on, that, that just doesn't make sense, does it? When we think about God, does God really need my help? Isn't God himself complete, needing nothing? Isn't he all-powerful, all-knowing, able to do anything? Isn't that who our God is? And, you know, you could shout amen there. That's a good place. Amen. I know I got you. I got, it's like, wow, you don't want me to say nothing. No, no, you can say amen. amen. Just don't shout out answers to the question. Say amen. Amen is like sick him to a dog. You know, amen to a preacher is like sick him to a dog. You know what I'm saying? So that's okay. You could do that. The Bible tells us there's nothing impossible for God. So again, I ask, does he need anything that anyone can supply for him? It's a good question. It's a, it's a valid question. The Bible tells us in Psalms 33, 6, it says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. Think about that. Everything that's been made, everything that exists, came from the word of his mouth. It goes on in Hebrews 1.3 in the New Living Translation. It says, the sun reflects God's own glory and everything about him represents God exactly. He sustains the universe by the mighty power of his word. He holds it all together by the power of his word. So, so here's the thing. Couldn't he just speak a word and accomplish all his purposes? without the help of man? Think about it. If that's true, then why did he come up with the plan of prayer? Why did he limit himself to the prayers of men? That's a great question. I, I don't know about you, but it's the kind of question that gets me staying up late at night. <laughs> Amen. Amen. So let's find out. Let's find out what's really going on. Ezekiel chapter 22 when you use this as kind of a springboard, verse 33 and 31, it says, So I sought for a man among them who would make up a wall and stand in the gap before me on the behalf of the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. Therefore, I have poured out my indignation on them, and I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath, and I have recompensed their deeds on their own heads, says the Lord God. Now, this context, or this verse is in the context of a passage that describes how far Judah had degenerated. The nation had become thoroughly corrupt. Their government leaders were corrupt. People everywhere were filled with greed and pride and self-interest and carnality. The priesthood had failed. They had become intoxicated with material possessions and physical comfort, and no longer did they devote themselves to God. In fact, they denied the supremacy of God. They sought to reinterpret the Word of God to accommodate their behavior rather than believing the Word of God and changing their behavior. Their prophets were liars. They were saying, peace, peace, when God was bringing war. They were predicting victory when God had determined defeat. They were crying prosperity when God was about to take away the possessions of the land. And the people had become overwhelmingly sinful and lacked 
any true spiritual guidance, and their society had become a carnal cesspool. That's, that's the context of this verse. Kind of sounds familiar, don't it? Yet in the midst of all of this, God says, He sought for a man among them who would make up a wall and stand in the gap before him on behalf of the land that he should not destroy it. Here is God, this is what's amazing to me, here is God looking to find a way to avoid bringing well-deserved judgment on a people. He longs to spare them. That's the wonderful thing about God. So often I hear these negative uh, sermons where, where uh, preachers are preaching that God just wants to judge. No, God is looking for a way to not bring judgment. Can you say amen? God is looking for a way to spare his people. God is looking for, you know, a lot of people go, well, you know, if God was so loving, he wouldn't send anybody to hell. Let me tell you something. God doesn't send people to hell. Sin sends people to hell. Hell was never made for man. It was made for the devil and his angels. The problem is man got caught up in the, in the flow of things, and now God's hands are tied. So what he did is he came up with a plan called salvation, sent his very own son to die a horrible, gruesome death on a cross, pay a price that, that, that we could never pay. He took on sin and gave us his righteousness all so that we could have a way out of hell. God's not sending people to hell. Sin is. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And here is God in the same place. This is a desperate, desperately wicked uh, society. They're doing horrible things. And God says, these people are going to be judged. I can't stop it unless I find someone that will stand in the gap and pray. But amazingly, it seems like God is helpless without a man. It seems like he's helpless without an intercessor. And from our text, we know he didn't find any. He didn't find someone to stand in the gap. So a whole nation, a whole generation was lost to judgment, even though God wanted to spare the agony to spare them the agony of the consequences of their own sin. This is amazing to me. It's utterly amazing. In fact, if you will catch this, it will be breathtaking. Because God in heaven is looking. Do you understand that God looks to bless you, not condemn you? God longs to love you, not hate you. God looks for a reason to pour himself out in wonderful ways upon you, not judge you. Are you hearing that? And what amazes me in this is he has linked all of that to you and I. See, I've heard it preached many times, and I've heard people talk about it. They said, you know what? The reality is, is that if God wants it, it'll happen. You know, if, if God wants our nation to change, he's going to change it. It, do, it doesn't really matter. It's kind of like voting. Let me, let me say, you know, we, this last election really has frustrated a lot of people because what they've done is that it doesn't matter if I vote. Let me tell you something. It absolutely matters matters that you exercise your constitutionally given right to vote. You say, well, nothing ever happens. No, something happened. Look at church. Somewhere what we cannot get is so jaded in our position that we begin to look at things and go, it doesn't matter because it does matter. 
Can you say amen? It matters. So, well, you know, if God, it, it doesn't really matter what I do. God's going to do whatever he does. That is not true. That is not true. In fact, the Bible tells us that at one point, God set himself to kill the children of Israel. He was done again. He had had it up to here. You guys are a bunch of knotheads, and I'm through. I'll raise up, a, I'll get a group of rocks to worship me. I don't care. And he, he's heading out. I'm going to kill them all. And Moses stands up and says, God, God, time out. Time out. Think about, it's an amazing story. He says, think about your reputation, God. <laughs> that just blows me away, man. The fact that he had the nerve and any other thing he needed to say that, to get up there and walk up to God and go, hey, don't do that. Think about your reputation. You don't want to sully your reputation. Because, you know, you brought them out here, and what they're going to say back in Egypt is, you brought them out here so you could just kill them, and then actually what they've been complaining about is going to be true, God. So let's, hey, God, how about you just calm down and let's not play into their hand? Can you hear this conversation? And God backs up and goes, I guess you're right, Moses. What was I thinking? Holy cow. This is the picture. It blows my mind. And God, the Bible says, not John Poole, you go read it, says he changed his mind. Oh, but God don't change his mind. Yeah, he does. <laughs> Aren't you glad he's changed his mind about you a couple times? Oh, I love it. I love it. See, that's why we got to read. The fact that God will do nothing except an answer to prayer is made clear by how often in the Bible God urges us to pray. Are you hearing that? God calls us, he exhorts us, he implores us, and at times he even begs us, and no doubt he even commands us to pray. He calls us to pray. There's a lot of things you can do in Christianity, but the one thing you can't do without is prayer. But prayer is oftentimes for the Christian the thing that's the hardest to do. Can we just get honest? I'm going to just get honest with you, okay? I'm, I'm just going to lay it all out right here. I've been, I, I, I've been, I say these things not because I'm trying to pat myself on the back, but I'm trying to give you a context for the reality of how stark this is. I got saved when I was seven years old. That's 49 years ago. Next year will be 50 years. I'll celebrate half a century of salvation. And it's only been in the last couple years that I've even grabbed a hold of this idea of prayer. So, well, what you been doing for 47 years? I'm, I'm not real sure. I'm like a box falling down the stairs. The grace, I depended on the grace of God and that he just kind of said, look, Gabriel, we got to help that fat little dude out because you know what? He ain't praying. Because somewhere along the line, I struggled in that. And you know what? I love the idea of prayer. It's not that I didn't like prayer. I loved prayer. I loved the idea of it. You know, I studied. I, I read. I, you know, I thought about prayer, all of that. 
But when I actually got into the place, the prayer room, the, the closet, my prayer closet, and tried to pray, most of the time I was distracted because it was at that time that I would begin to think about everything. All of a sudden, all the needs of the day and all the chores and this and that and everybody's conversation. And then when I got through that minutia, if I pushed that off and got through that, then I had this, in, in this, this is John's world, so you just have to excuse it, okay? <laughs> My wife says it's scary. <laughs> she needs to sit in the back so I can't hear her. <laughs> What's happening? But it is scary. I... I I, I, you know, because for most of my ministry, I've been a counselor, and I, I've worked with people counseling, and so then in my prayers, I end up counseling my prayers, and I'm, I'm having this argument with myself, and God's standing there like, I can't get a word in edgewise. Are you done talking to yourself? And it's just this insanity. And so it's been in the last couple years where I've really grabbed a hold of some things and have been able to push through that. And I'm going to tell you, as I've been pushing through that, things are changing. Things are happening. And I hope by now that I have your attention because prayer is obviously eternally significant. Now here's, what I, here's really the point of all of this, and this is what I want you to catch. God had a, something significant. God had something significant in mind when he came up with the plan of prayer. It was not so that God could manipulate his people into some sort of religious experience, but God's plan actually goes all the way back to why the reason why God created man in the first place. I want you to think about this. And it's also why the church is so vitally important. See, when God created man, we all know he wanted a family, didn't he? He wanted children. And when he established the church, he wanted an eternal bride for his son. Now, these facts are absolutely and clearly revealed in Ephesians chapter 5 and in Romans chapter 8. So, Ephesians 5, 31 and 32 says this, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church." This chapter in the book of Ephesians is a parallel between human marriage and the marriage between Christ and his eternal bride, the church. Are you hearing me? God's eternal plan for the church was to occupy, listen, God's plan for the church is to occupy the highest position in all of creation. From the very beginning of time, it has been God's specific will that out of Jesus would come an eternal companion, just like out of Adam, the first Adam, second, you, you understanding, out of Jesus would come an eternal companion as a bona fide equal partner to rule and reign with him. Are you hearing me? Literally, this is the, here's, the, here's the $50 word. Or phrase, literally a judicial equal to share with him in his power and authority over his kingdom. Are you hearing what I'm saying? 
So what does that mean this morning? What, what does that mean? It means as the church of Jesus Christ, we have been delegated or we have, been, we have received a delegated equality that is fully recognized and respected as if it were the original. Now, here's what I'm not saying. So those of you that are getting ready to write me an email or a letter or a card, I am not saying that we are God. Not even close. But what I am saying is because of Jesus, because of what he did and because of a decision they made, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, we have been elevated to occupy a position in heaven that can go no higher. To go any higher in our position would be to break up the Godhead. Are you hearing me? We are the judicial equal with Christ. You say, is that true? Let me show you. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 7. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespass, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the age to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Listen, this position that we occupy, both in time and space, is not simply honorary, but it's in fact real and very powerful. Are you hearing what I'm saying? He has put us, he has made us his eternal bride. That means something. Are you hearing me? That means that we have rights and privilege as the bride of Christ. If that wasn't enough, think about what Romans says in Romans 8, 14 through 17. It says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Now, I want you to pay attention to that last little statement there, that we may also be glorified. There is coming a day, church, when we will stand in heaven right next to Christ, and we will be glorified with him. Are you hearing that? You need to catch that. Now, I know there's that statement, if we suffer with him, this life, this travail through this life, through this sin nature, this overcoming, this, this facing off with the, 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 the powers that be, this is that suffering that he's talking about, that we suffer through this, that we push through, that we exercise, that when we get there, we will be glorified with him. Now, it makes us now heirs. We are joint heirs with Christ. That means one can't operate without the other. As legitimate sons by the will of God, generated by the life of God himself, we are heirs of God. This means we are completely and wholly connected to Jesus. We have every right and privilege he has, all authority, all power at the highest position has been delegated into us. Are you hearing what I'm saying? 
Now, in order for the church and the sons of God to be enabled to overcome the devil, God entered. Now, this is where I want you to listen, and this is where I'm, I need to slow down a little bit. God entered the realm of human existence. Jesus became a man. The everlasting Son of God put on humanity in every way. Catch this. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death on a cross. Jesus was fully God and fully man. It's, a, it's an inexplicable miracle. How can he be fully God, yet be fully man? No one will be ever, ever be able to explain it. Theologians, for, since the day Jesus was born, have been trying to explain it. They cannot. He was fully God. This is the mystery of Christ. But listen, when Jesus was on the planet, he lived not from his divinity. He lived from his humanity. And he, he destroyed the works of the devil, both legally and dynamically, through his humanity. He won the victory as a man submitted to his heavenly Father by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Colossians chapter 2 verses 13 and 15 says, And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he is made alive together with him, having forgiven your, you all trespass having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities, powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Listen to that. Jesus overcame the devil, stripped him of his power and his authority, exposed him for who he was, and made a spectacle of him. The devil right now in this moment is defeated in every way. The devil is defeated in every way. Now, although Jesus' victory over the devil is complete, God permits him to carry on guerrilla warfare. Now listen to me. God could have put the devil away completely. When, when people say that God and the devil are in a battle, it's not true. There's no battle. That would be like, how many know who Owen is? My, 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 how old is he? Nine months. There was his mom. So it would be like saying that me and Owen got into a battle. Yep. I won. Me and my nine-month-old grandson fought it out, dude, and I won. That little guy showed up, but you know what? Mm, one hit, out he went. I know, all the grandmas are going, oh. It, it makes a really good point because no 
right, you know, nobody in their right mind would ever do that. They wouldn't even consider it a battle. It's just stupidity. In fact, you get go, you have to go to jail for stuff like that, right? So to say God and the devil are in a battle, God won. And when, when, when Jesus said, I saw Satan fall to earth like lightning, that means when the devil says, I'm going to rise up, God said, nope, it was so fast, the devil didn't even know he was kicked out of heaven until he hit the ground. He didn't even know his name was no longer Lucifer, that it was actually the devil. I mean, it was so fast, so quick, so decisive, God went, wham, nope, and all the rest of you following him. It was not a battle. It was not a fight. It was a decision. Are you hearing what I'm saying? But God lets the devil carry on guerrilla warfare. Why? Because he has chosen the devil to give the church on the job training. <laughs> I love it. I love this picture, man. I, I just, when, when you grab this and so you get a hold of it, all of a sudden it's like, oh, okay, I get it. I get it. Oh, so you're running your mouth, so I learned how to shut you up. Okay. All right, that's not a problem. All right, so I'm in training right now. Okay, what does the Bible say? Oh, the Bible says that God is true and you're a liar. All right, all right, all right. So everything I'm feeling right now, even though it feels really, really real, it's a lie, devil. Because the Bible tells me differently. And I know you're really good at making me feel certain ways because that's kind of how my flesh works. But you know what? Somewhere you're still a liar. And I'm not going to go. I, you know what? I, can, I, can I pick on something a little bit? You know, we got to stop reinterpreting our circumstances. Or I should say, we got to stop reinterpreting the word based on our circumstances. We need to take our circumstances and change them by the word. Okay, you know, you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's like, well, you know what? We come up with these accommodating theologies because somewhere along the line, the devil has lied to us and said, oh, he ain't going to heal you. He's not going to heal you. I mean, by gosh, you've gone five years and you haven't got healed yet. You're praying, you're praying. Oh, yeah, he calls himself Jehovah Rapha. So what? He ain't showing up. And we buy into it. And we go, yeah, you know, it's just not God's will to heal. Where does it say? I dare you to show me in the Word of God where it says it does not say. In fact, what I can show you is Scripture after Scripture after Scripture after Scripture after Scripture after Scripture. And if you think I'm going on on purpose, I am. After Scripture of how often he desires and longs to heal you. In fact, he submitted himself to the most brutal beating on the planet ever known to man. Chunks of his skin and flesh was ripped from his body. And by those stripes, he paid the price so I could walk in life, health, and wholeness. Can you say amen? It is absolutely God's will to heal. Say, well, not everybody gets healed. It is absolutely God's will to get saved. In fact, there's a verse that says God's not willing that any should perish, but all come unto repentance. But we also know some people don't get saved because they choose something else. I declare to you today the reason that people sometimes don't see the healing. And I'm not saying all the time, so I'm not throwing guilt out there. But sometimes they don't see the healing because they just simply have not been convinced of it. Or it's an issue sometimes of timing. But listen, church. 
change. I refuse. I refuse to allow my circumstances to inform the Word. I allow the Word to inform my circumstances because even if some disease or COVID take me out, I'll stand before heaven and I'll worship Him as my healer knowing that by His stripes, I am healed now in Jesus' name. The problem with the, what we've done is we've allowed the devil to have a say. God said he don't get a say. Shut his mouth. <laughs> Told you I was passionate about it. See, prayers are not begging God to do something that he's unwilling to do. Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. Prayer is enforcing Christ's victory over Satan. Prayer is implementing on earth heaven's decisions concerning the affairs of men. That's why Jesus taught us in Luke eleven two. He said, pray after this manner. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That prayer, kingdom come, is what we are about. That's who we are. Here's the bottom line. The work of the cross and, res- and the resurrection destroyed the devil and it nullified all his accusations. Can you say amen? amen. And God placed the enforcement of that victory, the victory that Jesus gained, into the hands of the church. Are you hearing me? That's why in Luke chapter 10, verse 19, he says this, Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and all over all the power of the enemy, and nothing by any means shall hurt you. Listen, church, we have got to start. We've got to stop turning these scriptures into bumper stickers. What we need to do is we need to make them principles for life. I have given you authority to trample, to tread, to stomp a mud hole in the devil. I have called the church to so stampede over the devil that you cannot recognize him as anything and all his power and nothing, no thing shall hurt you. Either God's word is true or we're all in trouble. Are you hearing what I'm saying? God gave you and I the power of attorney. We are his representatives. We have been given a delegated authority. And by delegating his authority and his power to you and I, God has placed us into an apprenticeship. And so in effect, we practice and use our rights and our privileges in him and we learn Now, how to rule and reign with him from heaven. But this delegated authority is completely ineffectual apart from the prayers of believers who trust in, rely on, and cling to God in all things. Are you hearing what I'm saying? This was no afterthought. It was the plan of God from the very beginning. And this is why God will never go over the heads of his people to enforce his decisions. He will not take things out of their hand. 
Why? Because to do so would sabotage his plan to raise us up to rule and reign with him. Well, well, wait a second, preacher. What, what about his sovereignty? I thought God was sovereign. No doubt he is. He is a sovereign God. He is all-powerful. He needs no one. However, this morning, he wants to work with us. Therefore, in his sovereignty, he has limited himself. His sovereign will is that he, his will, his sovereign will is that we will work with him, even if it costs him. So what do you mean? I remember when Andrew was real little. He was probably about three. I don't know if he remembers this. But we set out to change the oil in the car. Changing the oil in the car is a relatively simple task. doesn't take a a lot. Usually about a 15-minute chore. Well, that 15-minute chore turned into about two hours. And there was oil everywhere except the little container that I had gotten to have the oil go in. He was head to toe oil. The door frame of the house, which was 50 feet from the car, had oil on it. There was oil on the floor in the kitchen and the hallway all the way to our bedroom because he had to tell mom that he helped dad. And he was full of oil. And it was one of, the, it's one of my greatest memories. <laughs> Say, why? I didn't need him. I really didn't need him to help me change the oil. I wanted him. I wanted to be there with him. We've done that all across, all my children, Amy, Jason, Andy, even now my grandchildren. Well, I do things with them. Why? Because I want to be with them. So it is with God. And how is it that we can get that with me, but we don't seem to get that with God? He doesn't have to. It's not like God's up in heaven going, well, if they don't, I'm, no, he said, I want to, even if it costs me. And it did cost him. It cost him his son. In Mark 16, 20, it says, And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them, confirming the word through the accompanying signs. The Lord working with them. He loves working with you. 1 Corinthians 3, 6 through 9 says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, neither he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. All of this is talking about the fact that we each have a job. There's people that sow. There's people that water. There's people that harvest, but God gives the increase. And the only way the plan works is if everybody does their part. If there's no one to sow, there's nothing to water or harvest. And if, the, if there's no one to harvest, the, the, what, the fruit dies in the field. God even said, he went so far as to say this, pray the Lord of the harvest. Well, wait a second, Lord, I thought you were the Lord of the harvest. Look it up, Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. Pray the Lord of the harvest that he'll send workers into the field because the harvest is ready. But I thought you were the Lord of the harvest. Why do you need me to pray? Because this is a partnership. My job is to send, but I can't send nobody until you authorize me to. Could it be that one of the reasons our prayers aren't getting answered or, or our needs, I better, better put it this way, could it be the reason we're not seeing our needs met is because we're not authorizing them to be met? 
I know it's, it's, it's kind of like standing on the edge of a cliff. It's like, wait a second. Is this really true? Yeah, no, it's really true. It's Bible. It's Bible. This reality in the kingdom of God is the highest honor that has ever been bestowed on any created being. Even angels do not share this reality. Through prayer, we change circumstances. We overcome the enemy. We enforce victory. We advance the kingdom. We establish God's will. And we make room for more to become like us through prayer. Therefore, prayer is where the action is. Amen. Life without prayer or a lifestyle of prayer is like living life on a treadmill. A lot of labor, no distance. That's why John Wesley said, God will do nothing but in answer to prayer. S.D. Gordon said, the greatest thing anyone can do for God and for man is to pray. Another man said, prayer strikes the winning blow, but service gathers up the results. And Ian Bounds said, God conditions the very life and prosperity of his cause on prayer. Church, you and I hold the key. So I want to bring this home. I want to, I want to close. I want to bring this to a close if Jason will come. And I want you to consider this just as we close. Years ago, there was something established in the banking system. I think it was probably in the late 60s, maybe early 70s, that was instituted to help bring protection to businesses. And it was called the two-signer check. And in some cases, they still use it today, but not very often because checks are kind of going by the wayside. And what was accomplished was that one signature was never enough. Both parties had to authorize and sign the check to make the check valid. And this is a perfect illustration of God's method of operating through prayer. When he died and rose again and sat down at the right hand of his father, he signed every promise in his blood. He signed the check. So how do you know that? 2 Corinthians 1.20 for all promises of God are in him, yes and amen, to the glory of God through us. But no promise is made good until a redeemed son enters the throne of God and by prayer and faith writes his name next to God. Here's the wonder of it all. The fundamental importance of this plan of on-the-job training for the bride of Christ and the sons of God literally is verified by God's willingness to answer prayer. God promises to answer prayer. His promises are so sweeping over such a broad spectrum that to think that He wouldn't answer prayer is ludicrous. Listen to these, just a few verses. John 14, 13 and 14. And whatever you ask in my name, that I'll do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. John 15, 7 says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you'll ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. 
John 15, 16 says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go forth, bear fruit, and your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Are you seeing a pattern? Now, the problem is, is that these verses in, over the years have kind of freaked people out because it, 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 gets, it gets a little dicey because it's like, because there's people out there that want to take advantage, right? And so they, they go, well, what if you ask for something that that's not God's will? What if you ask for something that doesn't glorify God? What if, what if, what if? Well, that's why we have to read the whole verse. We have to read the whole thing. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you. See, when you abide in him, it changes you. It changes you. That's why it's so necessary. That's why his word needs to abide in us. See, then we don't go contrary. See, because it changes our thought patterns. It changes who we are. See, if we, uh, Paul, he addressed this, I believe. He says, you have not because you ask not. And he says, and when you do ask, you ask amiss because you want to consume it on your own lust. These are not people that are abiding in Christ. See, this is the problem. When, when we do pray and we don't see the answer, we, we ask ourselves, what is, what's the problem here, church? We have to do an examination. Where are we at? See, that's the thing for me that I had to do is I had to ask myself, yeah, you've been saved a long, 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 long time. Yeah, and you got all the buzzwords down and you say praise the Lord and thank you, Jesus, all at the right time. And you know how to do it. You know how to do all these things. And, and you can even get up and you can pray a prayer that will shock most people. But it has no fruit to it. it doesn't, it's empty. It's empty words. Why? Because something, I was not abiding. I, yes, I knew him, but I didn't abide in him. I didn't live in him. And his words were not alive in me. That's why people that, that do abide in Christ and his word abides in them, they, 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 they change. They're just not like everybody else. Why? Because it changes you. It moves you. All of a sudden, the, the priorities of this world are meaningless. It's like, I don't care. I don't care about all of that. I care about him. And then all of a sudden, you pray and you, you go, that's what's important, God. That, that right there, that's what's important. Man, I want that. And God goes, me too. Here you go. And bam, it's there. So many of us, church, we're struggling in our prayer life because simply we're, we're, we either don't know how to do it and we talk ourselves out of it or, or we're, we're victim to this. We just don't abide. And we pray for things and we wonder, why isn't it changing? Because there's no power in it. Just because just you pray a prayer, to, somewhere there's got to be a connection. That's the point. I got to be connected to him. I got to live his way. I can't live my way. You know what? Living my way has got me in trouble. <laughs> it got, it's nothing but heartache. Oh, the, but, but I thought it was a good plan. Well, too bad. It ain't. Doing my thing sidetracked me, derailed me. But I like it. I don't care if you do or not. That's your flesh. Your flesh likes it. How many know, how many got a flesh here? Don't raise your hand. We all struggle with that. Somewhere we got to say, not enough. Enough. I'm going to live for you, God. Even if it costs me. Even if it costs me. And I thought, you know, it's funny because, and I, I, this is sermon number two, but I'll shut up, I promise. 
I thought at first I couldn't live with those things, live without those things. I really was convinced. There were certain things in my life that I thought, how am I going to do life without it? Now I can't even see how I did life with it. It's like, what was I thinking? I wasn't, that's, that's a fact. John, 1 John 5, 14 and 15 says, Now this is the confidence that we have in him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have, that we have asked of him. The only thing that can stop the plan of God is if we won't pray. Ezekiel 30, 22, 30 says, I sought for a man among them who would make up a wall and stand in the gap that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. God help us if he doesn't find anyone. I don't know about you. I'll let you make that decision, but I'm going to be found of God. When he goes looking, he can find me. I'll stand in the gap. And you know what, church? Sometimes that means you actually have to get in the gap. That means in some people's life, you have to get in it. Got to get your hands dirty. Sometimes you got to love people that are hard to love. Sometimes you got to just be there and be patient and loving and caring. And just say, this is what I'm going to do because it's what you'd have me do, God. And good things will happen. Can you say amen? Bow your heads, would you? Father, we just thank you, Lord. We just give you glory. We thank you. I pray right now for every person in this place, Lord, that your, that your revelation of this truth would just fall upon them, touch their hearts, God, stir them. Father, minister, God, give us a hunger and birth in us a passion for prayer. And Father, I pray, Lord, that you would just guide us in this. Lead us and train us and teach us the way we should go. And we thank you for it. I wonder, as every head is bowed, every eye is closed, if you're here today and you say, you know what, I don't know Jesus is my Savior. Maybe you're watching online and you've picked us up and you said, man, this is so good. I, I just, I need Jesus. I want to surrender my life to him. If that's you, would you, would you lift your hand all across this place? Would you lift it up? Praise God. Praise God. Well, would you pray with me? Amen. I see that hand in the back. Anyone else? Praise God. Anyone else? If you're online or if you're here, would you just pray this prayer quietly? Just say, Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my life and to forgive me of my sins. Be my Lord and my Savior. I surrender to you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that, and you're online, just write a comment down. Just put a comment that says, hey, I gave my life to Jesus and give us some contact info and we'll get a hold of you. If you're here and you did that, let somebody know. Let somebody know. Praise God. You know what, tonight, and I, I, I say this, this isn't because I wrote this sermon, but at first and third Sunday nights, we always have a prayer meeting at five o'clock right here in the sanctuary. If you'd like to come join us, we'd love to have you. God bless you. Why don't you stand to your feet? I'm sorry I kept you so long. I don't promise I'll try not to do that again. God bless. Thank you for listening to the New Life Kingman podcast. We can't wait to see you next week.